Good, 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 good. Well, if you're joining us, um, we're halfway through a series that I've been doing on the church. You can't really call two sessions a series. But last week I did, I uh, started this topic about the whole uh, notion of the church. And we talked about how the church is beautiful, how she's Jesus's bride and that he paid for her, he adds to her, he cares for and continues to feed the church, that the church isn't just something we do, it's not a social club, it's actually the pillar and foundation of truth, that the church is also the household of God. And this is my favorite, that the church is used by God to display his wisdom to the rulers of the unseen realm. And this has always been part of God's eternal plan. So people who are here just because you're pleasing your dad because it's Father's Day, psych, you're actually part of God's eternal plan to reveal his manifold wisdom to the unseen rulers. How does that feel? And then we looked at three different passages. The first one in Acts which is a really, really odd passage because it's the Apostle Paul who's, who's gathering all the church leaders in Ephesus and saying, hey, I'm about to leave you, but I wanna give you like a parting word of encouragement. There's gonna be people who are gonna rise up, even from among this group here, who are gonna rise up in your churches, leave the church and take others with them. So have fun with that, you'll never see me again. Right, and we started thinking, how does that happen? How do people who've been handpicked by the Apostle Paul to be raised up as leaders in the household of God one day decide, you know what I fancy doing today? I fancy distorting the truth, leaving the church and taking people with me. So we started thinking, how does that happen? And we looked at a passage in Hebrews 10 where it talks about not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And we thought about, well, what actually happens if you disobey that verse? And we found five stages of disconnection, not only from the church, but from the Lord. And then lastly, we saw in Ephesians 4 that Paul teaches us that the only way to godly maturity is by staying in the church. You can't gain godly maturity, Christ-like maturity, outside of the church. That's your very first step into deception. And so I pointed out that the, the importance of being in church, this thread that links these three verses, isn't just limited to these three verses, but is actually contained all through the New Testament. If you think about it, the New Testament, all of it, with the exception of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about the church. Acts records the birth of the church. Revelation is letters to the church. And all in between are letters written to church leaders, church members about church life, church conduct, uh, how to handle confrontation, what to do when church gets crazy. You want to read about crazy churches? Read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Corinthians. They were nuts, complete nuts. And that's where we got to. And we realized that if we remove ourselves from the church, we're removing ourselves from the bulk of the New Testament content. Here's my dilemma whenever I teach. I always want to teach on more than I have time for. It's just, it's just the wiring of a teacher. I want to make sure that you have everything. And I want to anticipate the questions that you might be thinking of and have answers for those and provide supplementary appendices so that you can like, oh, okay, here's further reading. And no more... When I think about a topic as large and as important as the church, 
Because this is a very real dynamic. You do a teaching about the church and it prompts legitimate questions about the church that deserve really, really good answers from the Bible. And I'm working hard to resist the temptation to spend time on that this week because what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on us. Last week I was talking about the church at large and some of the problems that we have with the church at large. This week, I want to focus all on us, and by us, I mean Grace Center. So if you're visiting here this morning, welcome. I hope you get some benefit out of this. But for everybody else, I'm aiming it at people who have called Grace Center their home church. To get where I need to go this morning, I need to give us all a brief history lesson of Grace Center. So I've got a timeline here. I'm not going to stop at every major event of our church, but I do want to highlight a couple of them. We started way back in 1991 as a home group. There was a group of families who were really hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. They started meeting as a home group. Within a few years, by 1994, this home group is now a small church, and we're meeting in a school not far from here. A couple of years later, in 1998, we actually moved to this building. And when we moved to this building, it was a school. And so we rented some space from the school. A few years later, we bought the building from them. And we've been here ever since. Now we get to 2010. And I want to camp out here just for a second. Remember how I said back in 1991 that the church was started by a collection of families who were really hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, hunger is great, but sometimes when we're hungry, we don't make the best choices. <laughs> Have you experienced that in life? You're doing a long road trip, and you're like, man, I'm starving, I could eat a dead horse, right? <laughs> and then you're like, well, there's no dead horses, but I could make McDonald's work, okay? So you pull over, you eat McDonald's, and what you thought you wanted and what you got were two very different things. Sometimes our hunger leads us away from wisdom toward immediate gratification. Now, it is not my heart whatsoever to dishonor any of the people involved in the decision to start that home group, nor am I trying to dishonor anyone who was instrumental at the start of the church. But what became clear over time was that many of the people starting or coming to the church in its infancy had a fairly strong offense toward the church, like the church at large, okay? It seems that many of the reasons that Grace Center got started was out of a strong reaction to having experienced the established church. It seems like we wanted to be an alternative to traditional church. Now, please understand, I am not saying that everyone involved in the church had a judgment against the church at large. It's not what I'm saying. But I do know very early on at the start of when we were trying to decide what we were going to be, there was a discussion about whether we even wanted to be called a church. That's how strong our offense or our revulsion towards the church was. Fast forward 15, 20 years, 
the kind of seeds of like offense or hurt against the church are now beginning to blossom into plants. Really weedy, thorny plants. And the result after about 20 years was, generally speaking, people were happy to be at Gray Center because we're not like other churches. Now that phrase, other churches, might mean different things to different people, but sadly, it's just plain old-fashioned spiritual pride. Oh, it's one of those messages. Giddy! (laughs) Spiritual pride born out of hurt. And the root of that hurt is most often rejection or rebellion. So here we are, we have a church, and while it's not written down anywhere in our bylaws or on a mission statement that like, we're like an anti-church or we're a not church, it was kind of in our DNA. So you know what happens is like attracts like. Without a clever marketing plan, we end up attracting people who, to a greater or lesser degree, largely feel the same way. Now consider the oxymoronic nature of a gathering of people who don't want to be a church that are trying to be led as a church. (laughs) And then pray for Pastor Jeff and understand why he's on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to lead a group of people somewhere who aren't there to be led? They're like, hey, 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 hey. Who made you the boss? We're gathered here on our own terms for our own purposes And we definitely don't want to be a church. So think about the problem with living this way. You are trying desperately not to be what you already are. You could say that's an identity crisis. You are actually opposing God who tells you what you are. It's super hard to step into your calling if you refuse to agree with God about what you're called to do. So in 2010, we have some dear friends called Chester and Betsy Kilstra. Now, Chester and Betsy Kilstra, a little story about them, is they had developed a really, really thorough format and approach to inner healing. So they would take individuals and they would look at four key areas of their life. They would look at, hey, in what areas of your life have you been significantly wounded and how is that affecting your outlook on life? In what way is that wounded produce what we call ungodly beliefs, stinking thinking, wrong thinking that feels true to you, but it's actually contrary to the word of God? And in what way have those wounds and those beliefs been hijacked by the demonic? And then also, let's just throw another thing. In what way have you inherited curses from the sins of your forefathers? And so they take this very thorough format, these four systemic things, and take people through it and produce incredible transformation. And while they were developing this, they realized, hey, some of the hurts that people have, these four patterns, we actually see in institutions and organizations. And so we invited them in to say, hey, would you come in and would you sit with us and would you help us sort out some of the dysfunction that we realized we've ended up with? And they were like, yeah. And so they spent several days with us where we just kind of unpacked the dysfunction, realized the things that we needed to repent for, especially having spiritual pride, trying to do things outside of God's agenda, and actually repent for refusing to think of ourselves as the bride. 
it's pretty horrible, but in one sense, we all wanted the benefits of being his bride without any of the commitment of being betrothed. Now, AJ and I got here in 2009. Just out of interest, how many of you, by show of hands, were here in 2009? Okay, keep your hands up. Everybody else, look around the room. Okay? Not many of you. Same, similar proportion in first service. What's interesting about that is after we went through this uh, ministry time in 2010, Jeff really got a hold of the fact that, hey, we're actually called to be a church and began putting some foundational elements in place. One of the net effects of putting those foundational elements in place was a mass exodus. Now, I know it was a mass exodus because I was holding the door while people left and I did an exit interview. And by exit interview, I meant, you guys suck! This isn't Grace Center anymore. You're like an Old Testament church. You don't even believe in grace. Ah, we've changed and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, bye-bye, bye-bye. Thanks so much for coming. Okay, thank you. (laughs) And at the same time, now again, let me reiterate that all the people that left in that season, I am not painting them with all one brush. Hey, they were just mad at the church. That's not what I'm saying. But a good proportion were because I read their emails and their Facebook posts and had conversations face-to-face, Okay. But at the same time, as Jeff began to put like a benchmark, is that a benchmark? No, what's that called? Like a stake in the ground. Like, hey, this is who we are and this is what we're about. People who were like-minded began to come. So we had this kind of revolving door. People leaving, people coming. And it was fascinating to watch. Then in 2011, we started the School of Supernatural Life, this this beautiful eight-month intensive school for life that has been hugely transformative in the lives of our students. And then in 2016, our church began to get an understanding of what it means to be a church led by an apostle and an apostolic team of fivefold ministries. Now, AJ and I have been here 10 years. Without any exaggeration, the shift in culture in those 10 years has been astronomical. And I would hinge a ton of it on the the 2010 meetings that we had with Chester and Betsy Kilstra. It was pivotal for our church and it really shifted the foundations upon what we're building on. Great, Alan. Why are you giving us this history lesson again? Well, it's not to point fingers. It's not to cast assertions. It's not to drag up the past. It's simply to point out that over the last 10 years, Our culture has changed, and we as a leadership team are trying to go back, take responsibility for the errors that we've made, or the culture that we've inadvertently embraced, and try and untangle the net effects of our decisions. For example, one of the cultural decisions we had in place in in refusing to embrace our identity as a church is refusing to embrace anything that looked like traditional church life. True story. We did not have an emphasis on tithing. Like, that just smacks of like old covenant and religious duty and just give if you want to give. It's totally fine. And it's fine if you don't. That's no big deal. We didn't have an emphasis on membership. Hey, listen, we're not one of those religious, but if you show up, you're in. We 
get it. We get our lives hard, you know, it's fine. We didn't have an emphasis on accountability. Boy, did we not have an emphasis on accountability. Okay, now I say that with glee now, but when Asia and I got here, we, you know, inherited our young adult group and we thought everybody spoke the same language as us. And then we're like, okay, we need to do some different teaching. Here's the level of accountability or lack thereof. I remember when we shifted from a, one service a Sunday to two services a Sunday. And so in order to try and make that transition as smoothly as possible, we had to think about things we'd never thought of before. Because at Grace Center, you would just kind of show up whenever you wanted to show up, right? I see people nodding on, yes, I remember that. <laughs> we'll start when enough people get here, it'll be fine. So we didn't need to worry about parking, just show up, park anywhere, right? That's fine. Well, then you start thinking about two services. How are we going to get the people who are here out? And what if they don't want to leave? And where are we going to put the new people? <clears throat> so God bless Lane and his shorts. That was our parking team. It was him and a pair of shorts. <laughs> so we're like, he's going to need some help. Like getting people in. So we assembled a team of volunteers, you know, just to kind of help, like steer people out and steer people. In. We had to think about things. It's so funny to think about now. So I remember on that first Sunday, I go out to just touch base with our team of volunteers and we're like, hey guys, how's everything going? And they're like, this is horrible. And I'm like, what's horrible? They're like, we have really mean people who come to our church. And I'm like, what do you mean? They said, no word of lie, I'm not making this up. They just said, the most common response to us trying to help people find parking spots is, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> that was so outstanding, it became an in-joke in our church. Okay, so in our staff meetings, whenever anybody would ask us to do anything, we'd be like, hey, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> to the point that I remember one time having lunch with Jeff, or maybe it was breakfast with Jeff, or at a restaurant, and the server came over with our food, and she said, hey, enjoy your meal. And Jeff just quipped, don't tell me what to do. And I was like, <laughs> Jeff, she doesn't know our twisted sense of humor. And you just told her that you were a pastor. Say you're from Grace Chapel. It'll all be fine. It'll be fine. So we didn't have an emphasis on anything that smacked. I remember when I first got here watching people MC, it was the most awkward thing to watch people take up the offering. Why? Oh, it just feels like so manipulative. Why does it feel manipulative to ask people to do the thing that's an Encouraged in scripture. Ah, I just feel super churchy. Oh, there it is. There it is. We didn't have an emphasis on welcome teams. That just seems too corporate. Like, hey, you know what? We don't get too big. And if you're here, you know you're here and it's fine. We were kind of like the Wild West at one end of the spectrum and a zoo at another, okay? It just meant any given Sunday would be interesting. So we've worked really hard behind the scenes to untangle all of that. As a leadership team, we've worked hard at repenting for rejecting our call as the bride of Christ and to embrace the call upon our house to be a church. But here's what we haven't done. We haven't invited the body, our church body, aka y'all, <laughs> up a level into ownership of being the body. You might be thinking, what? No, 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 we understand where we're at. Let me explain what I mean by that. Our past thinking created a culture where you can just come, just come and receive. And it's something actually that we love to do, but I think our message of come, come receive was not actually out of a really holy place. 
And so in doing so, we create a culture where people come to receive but not be part of the body. So what we noticed is once people got what they came for, they'd leave. But it's hard to notice because that revolving door is going on. We're always getting new people. They're always getting fed and they're always leaving, but it's in a rolling basis, so we never noticed. And by the way, that's not their fault. It's our fault as leaders because we didn't create a place for people to belong and to build. And so... When we look forward to launching a third service in August, and when we look at our prophetic words to host the region, to host the nation, to host the nations, plural, we realize, Matt, we need to apologize to you as church leaders for feeding you, but not for creating areas for you to exercise your gifts and actually work as part of the body. So sorry about that. So whether you've just started coming to Gray Center or you've been a part of it for more than 20 years, today we're making a pivot and a change in the way we do church. We've realized that in order for us to be who we're called to be, us as the church, we need an active body made up of many parts, each doing their part. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's what we read last week. Paul, let's read this together. Paul says in Ephesians 4, instead, now let me just stop right there. Whenever you see an instead, the author is about to contrast what he's previously said with what he's about to say. And in order to fully grasp the point of what he's about to make, it's helpful to go back and look at the point he's already made. Does that make sense? So he says instead, so let's go back and see what he's contrasting his point with. Well, the whole context of Ephesians 4, the first part of that chapter, Paul is writing about the church. He starts by introducing that God has given gifts to the church, the fivefold giftings. Okay, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He starts by saying, guys, these are a tremendous gift. They benefit the body. And then he gets to verse 14. And in verse 14, which is the verse he contrasts, he says, Hey, if we embrace, if we stay in the church, if we become mature by the gifts that God has given us, these fivefold gifts, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And then he goes straight into verse 15. Instead, instead of all that immaturity, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that beautiful? The only way for us to fulfill all the prophetic words that are on our church is if each part does its own special work. That's the apostolic gifts and the body. See, Paul starts by making a point. Imagine the point is right here where this podium is. The point is God's given these fivefold gifts to the church for the church's blessing and benefit. And then, like last week, he said, but if you leave the church, none of those blessings benefit you. 
You don't actually grow. You don't actually mature. Then he contrasts that with, but if you stay in the church and just sit on your blessed assurance, it's equally as useless because you still don't benefit from them. Do you see that? Do you see that swing? Here's the gift. If you leave, they don't benefit you. But if what's equally true is they won't benefit you if you stay in the church, but don't do your own part. And you might be asking, what do you mean doing our own special work? Like, I'm really good at Nintendo. Is that a benefit? (laughs) It is, okay? It is. Speak to our youth department. They could probably, you know, I'm sure you could get a preaching sermon about winning Mario Kart or Zelda, I'm sure. But you might be thinking, well, what is Paul talking about? Each part does its own special work. What special work? Well, Paul writes more about this in Romans 12. So I'm going to jump over to Romans 12, verse 4. See if you can spot the, 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 um, the similarity here. He writes, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, a.k.a. the church. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And then he goes straight into verse 6. He says this, So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy... Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Hey, if your gift is serving others, then serve well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. These are just some of the examples of the special abilities that Paul lists out. One of my favorite facts that not many people know is, so my spiritual father, John Arnott, leader of one of the longest running revivals in church history. Do you know where he started his global, international, apostolic ministry? Sunday school. This is my point, but it just popped into my head. There's a, there's, a, there's a danger in the church that we think that I have this gift, I have this call, and you probably do, but like this is just beneath my calling. Listen, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. All right? So again, I'm not saying that to anybody in this room, but just if you hear of somebody who's got that attitude, <laughs> let them know that. My point is, sitting in church, I would hate that last week you heard, okay, yeah, I've got to be in church, I've got to be in church, I've got to be in church. And you're sitting in church going, man, I don't feel like I'm growing, but you know, Alan said don't leave the church. I didn't explain myself fully. Sitting in church isn't an indicator of guaranteed spiritual growth. In the same way that we need apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, we also need each part doing its own special work. See, we are most alive when we're living the way, we're most alive when we're living the way we were designed to live. If we don't partake, we spectate. Just channeling my inner Gary Morgan this morning. I don't know what's happening. Here's the thing. When you only come to church to spectate, you become a referee. And my encouragement is, don't be a referee. 
Don't be so good at spotting what might legitimately be wrong if you haven't taken a stakehold in making it better. Are you kidding me? You don't need a prophetic gift to point out what's wrong with people and or the church. For example, I'm not going to do that, okay? All right. (laughs) I'm making, I know, many, many points. And this is me wrapping up. I made many points this morning, but they all fall under the same umbrella. Here's my recap. We've realized that historically, as a church, Grace Center has sadly prided itself in not being or behaving like a church. That is wrong, dishonorable, disrespectful. But God is full of grace and full of mercy. Number two, this mindset has produced a multiple multitude of problems that we have repented for. We have worked hard to adjust our mindset, but we're aware there's still some cleanup to do. And we realize that in order to be the church that God wants us to be, it's not just that we have to adopt a five-fold leadership model, which we've worked hard on working through and explaining and presenting a model. We also need to be a church where every part does its own special work. You're like, I'm with you, Alan. I'm tracking with you. But can you put that in practical terms? What's the outworking of that? Well, I want to speak to a couple of different people in the audience this morning, this afternoon. If you are someone who's been with us since the early days, thank you for sticking with us. Seriously, you need some sort of medal or an award. But could we honor the people who've been with us through all of our transition? Thank you. But the reason I want to draw some attention to you guys this morning is that you've probably noticed that our culture has changed. But we want to make sure that as you journey with us going forward, you actually know where we're all going and what it's going to take to get there. A number of years ago, we started a new members class and this kind of radical idea that we should actually make our thinking visible about our culture and invite people in the process. No, radical. But as we designed our new members class, we realized... Ah, it's a bit awkward because we've got people who've been here for like 15, 20 years. We're going to make them do a new members class? I mean, they help build the church. So out of honor, we just decided, let's just grandfather them in. In hindsight, I think that was an error. Because what happens is, if a culture is not clearly defined, it's just left to open interpretation of what it means to be pro-inner healing or pro-Father Heart, or pro-women in ministry, or this or that, the next thing. And what you end up with is people who think largely they're moving in the same direction. Have you ever said to somebody, hey, we'll meet you at that Starbucks in Cool Springs, and you're like, man, these people are late, and they're at the different Starbucks. They thought, I know which Starbucks you mean in Cool Springs, but there's like 19 of them. And so we realized, oh, that would be a tragedy that that would happen. So I'm going to ask you, if you were one of the people who got grandfathered in and you're like, I don't know if I'm grandfathered in, if you haven't done a new members class or if you haven't done a new members class in five years, I'm asking you, take three Sundays. You don't have to miss the whole service. And by the way, we have, we'll have two others, two other services you can come to. But come to a new members class. Sign up. There's one happening in July. We run them the first three Sundays of every month. Why? It's a refresher to make sure we're all rowing in the same direction. Okay, that's the first thing I would encourage you to do. Next 
group of people. If you're someone who visits Grace Center regularly, perhaps you even call Grace Center your church, but you've never made a step into membership, I wanna be as kind as I can and smile as largely as I can while I tell you something really blunt and really direct. By only visiting, but never investing, you are shortchanging yourself in ways you can't imagine. And you're also shortchanging Grace Center. And my encouragement to you is find a church. I hope it's this one. But we've got so many good churches in Nashville. If you're hearing this message and you're like, oh, thanks for clarifying, I'm out. That's great. Find a church. Plug in, become a member, and build. Now, if you're somebody who's double dating, and I'm not trying to shame anybody, but by double dating, I mean you come to Grace Center for the early service, which gives you enough time to drive over to East Nashville to get to Legacy, and then you, you grab some lunch, and then you go over to the Belonging on Sunday night, and then you come to Emony on Monday night, and then you go somewhere on Tuesday night, and you know, actually, you look at the schedule and you realize, oh, I don't like listening to that person. I'm going to go over to this church where somebody else is speaking. If you're doing that, you are not satisfying the hunger that way. And I want to encourage him, as serious as a heart attack, find a church, plug in, and serve. That is how you find the satisfaction that your spiritual hunger is requesting for more of. Now, please don't mishear me. Please don't say if you're a member here, uh, if we're a member here, we can't go to any other churches like First Special. No, I'm just saying, don't feed, don't try and fill that hunger with things that are not supposed to be filled. Does that make sense? Right? I visit other churches all of the time, but not as a, not as a replacement, but as a supplement. I've got friends all over the city who run amazing churches. I want to go support them. Sometimes I want to just go and be fed. So don't hear me as like, well, if you remember at Grace Center, Alan said you can't go anywhere else. No. Have I made my point clear? Yeah. Okay, great. And then number three, for all of you who are like, you had me at that beautiful timeline. I'm in. Tell me what to do. You're probably thinking, oh my gosh, this explains so much of what I've been feeling, but I could never put my finger on. No matter whether you're in group one, two, or three, I have a super clear altar call for all of us this morning, and that's to help build a better church. See, Jesus is building his church, and he's given us a beautiful blueprint. And so here's my altar call for you today. If you're not yet a member, please take our three-week class to understand what it means to be a member here. We are actively building God's kingdom and we want you to be a part of this expression of his kingdom. If you haven't done a class or you've been grandfathered in, like I said, register for one of the classes, take three in a row so we all know that we're heading in the same direction. If you're already a member, Here's what I want you to do. And here is what the new expectation at Grace Center is. If you're a member at Grace Center, we are asking that you commit to finding at least one place to exercise your gift at least one time per month. And here's the beautiful thing about that. We have got so, so many places that you can build. Do you know that it takes 168 people every Sunday to pull off our services? I know I was speechless when I heard that too. 160 people. That number rises to 238 people when we launch our third service in August. Now, understand, we're not making this call out of need. 
This is not some like, oh, it's really difficult. And this is not like beating you up. None of those things. We're asking you this out of excitement because when the whole church exercises their gifts, we all flourish and we all want a flourishing church. I am horrified at the anemic state of the church. I would love to have boldness to be able to offer better solutions than we currently do. I'm talking about the church at large. Wouldn't it be great if we tried to model something following a New Testament protocol for building a church that's alive and flourishing? So here's what I'd like you to do. Pull out your smartphone, pull out your phone, or if you already have your phone, just switch from Instagram to web browser. <laughs> I get it, I get it. And go to this URL, gracecenter.us slash build. Now, if you go there, you're gonna see some blurb about our ministries. You, if you've been here for more than a couple of weeks, you already know about our ministries. But scroll all the way to the bottom of the page and you'll see a form. Now, go ahead and fill out that form and just kind of tick off any of the areas. It doesn't just have to be one, but any of the areas that you're like, you know what? I can build in this area. And what's gonna happen is one of our staff are gonna contact you in the next three business days and say, hey, we're so glad you signed up for that. Let us just talk you through the next steps because depending on which area you wanna build in, there's some specific things that we need to go through. Pretty much universally, if you want to serve or exercise your gift in any capacity at Grace Center, we're asking you've done a new members class and encounter weekend. And guess what? Both are happening in July. It's almost like we planned this, okay? <laughs> but some other ministries need more than a new members class or an encounter weekend, uh, sorry, and an encounter weekend. For example, if you're helping in the kids, by law, we need to do a police background check. If you're going to do uh, the prophetic ministry, uh, serve the prophetic ministry, we just want to do a refresher and prophetic training. That's not to say we don't think you can prophesy. We just want to make sure that we're singing from the same choir sheet, he said, mixing his spiritual metaphors, right? <laughs> we just want to make sure that you know the protocol for our prophetic ministry. Same with prayer ministry. So go ahead and do that. That would be hugely helpful. But again, let me remind you that our expectation starting today that all of our members are serving in at least one area for at least one time a month. And I really want to apologize. We set our expectation so low, frankly, it was offensive. <laughs> like we never asked anything of you. So no wonder you might have felt like, well, I don't know if they even want me around. Our expectations were so low. But we want you to help Build a church that magnifies the glory of Jesus. All right, well, let's stand and pray, and then you can sit down and finish filling out the form. All right, and then dads, you can go out and eat whatever you want. Just tell them the pastor said that, okay? So Lord Jesus, we're standing because we're excited about the promise that you are building your church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so Lord, we are excited to be part of the revelation that church is God's plan A for saving the universe. And so, Lord, not only are we content to be used to display your wisdom to the unseen rulers, but, Lord, we want to be able to offer our culture, our community, and our nation answers, demonstrable answers of the power of God uh, uh, and what it looks like to have a church that is alive and flourishing. So, Lord, I, I repent on behalf of our leadership here, Lord, for areas where we have... Um, 
believe things that are contrary to your word. Lord, I thank you that you're full of grace. And I ask, Lord, that you would put upon our hearts this morning a burning desire to build a better church, one that glorifies your name and magnifies your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.